Welcome to AUCD Network Narratives, where we share real stories from our members. I'm your host, J.D. Flores, a self-advocacy discipline coordinator at the Strong Center for Developmental Disabilities and the co-chair for the Council on Leadership and Advocacy. Join us as we hear from inspiring leaders within our network working to make a change. In today's episode, J.D. and her guest, Kisa O'Quinn, dig deep into what equity and employment really means and how they can keep growing in their work and career to be bigger every day, especially in the fight for economic justice. Kisa has over 18 years of experience working with people from diverse communities and sees herself as a supported employment strategist, person-centered plan facilitator, and community builder with a focus on centering equity and belonging. After you listen in, be sure to check out our show notes for some resources Kisa worked on for the Disability Employment Technical Assistance Center, or DTAC. Enjoy. My first question is, you worked in the correctional like facility realm, right? And then you moved into moved into a lot of spaces and all of them really needing a piece of advocacy, a piece of you just, you know, nurturing this this skill. And so what would you say is your advocacy style? It's definitely meeting people where they're at. I think one of my gifts, strengths and talents, which I always am looking for in other people, is my ability to be present my ability to listen. And then I think I tend to be an intuitive person. And so I come from a place of being curious, right? And so initially when I moved into corrections, it was because I was trying to save people. I had family members who were incarcerated and I felt like if our systems were better, if people did things better, they wouldn't be in that situation. And so I had that savior complex of I'm going to come in and fix. I think that I very quickly learned that the fix is really about sitting and listening to people's stories. The advocacy comes from partnering with people to elevate and cultivate. It isn't about fixing. And so then that work in corrections has now followed me in all other realms of work. And and even in my 20 years, I'm working with people with lived experiences and disability, which is so varied, right? that I have really practiced just being present and listening to people because I never know the answers. I always think my job as a person who sits with people is to help to cultivate a response, but I don't know the answers. I think that's, it's so funny because you say you don't know the answers, but I think in terms of employment, like you probably do know some of the answers, right? Like the, in the yeah. employment <laughs> space, like when we're talking about equity and employment and what it means to have an expendable wage, you know, it's a different ballgame. You know, not a lot of people can understand how many different ways in which employment is tied to just living real life, right? So it took me six years to get a job and I was degreed. I did all the things that like the American way says, right? Like I graduated high school, I graduated college, and then I tried to join the workforce and they was like, haha, you're disabled. Um, <laughs> we don't know where you will fit in into this workforce space. You're just gonna have to kind of like sit and wait and, and try to massage whatever opportunities you have and hope that they grow into something bigger. And I I say all of that to say, like, I think in the employment realm, you might have the answer. I just don't know how many people are really listening and looking forward to what makes sense. So that was a pause for me, like I because I felt what you said. Right. So that was an example of how I'm present with people. So like you said words, but the words had impact on me and they you know, they weren't about active access. They weren't about maximizing the capacity for your greatness. 
they weren't how do we look at her gifts, strengths, and capacities and figure out how we increase our bottom line by having her in the workspace. It isn't about how do we cultivate and create an opportunity for her versus trying to make her fit into something that we already had. Those are the things that I think about when I think of competitive integrated employment. I also try to figure out how do we get people to not be systematized, right? I think that is like our intentions are so good when it comes to supported employment or competitive integrated employment that we get lost in the process and it needs to move back to a place of being organic and person-led, right? And like, so if we listen to you and your story, then we cultivate what you can do based on that. It's easy then to create and um, craft something. But if we just go, oh, on paper, this is what you look like and fit you into something, you'll never have a job. Or That's it. Actually, can I take that back? You will have a job. You won't have a career and you won't have a life that feels like it's expanding with possibilities. You're just going to go and earn money. And we all, you know, however we show up, need to feel like we belong, we create, we cultivate, we grow. And to me, that's what employment brings to everybody. For sure. I mean, I worked as an AmeriCorps member for four years right out of college. And one of the primary reasons was because I needed to get my loans forgiven. Um, (laughs) My student loans, I needed them to be forgiven, especially if I wasn't sure how I was going to have a job to pay those loans back. I'm a first generation college student. My parents have literally no idea what the path to college looks like. My dad's a mechanic. My mom's a daycare provider. They both picked up trades as soon as they could. I mean, they moved to the States also. So like racism and all of the other isms that come into place when you migrate from one place to the other became really real for them. So, you know, I had big opportunities because they made big decisions to move Mm -hmm. here to the States um, specifically for me. Like our life would be so different if it didn't work that way. When you say like, you know, having a job feels like you belong. I think having money feels like you belong, right? Because you can move how you want to move. So it's, I can go out to eat with my friends because I have monies to pay for dinner or I have monies to pay for a movie ticket. And for so many folks, like it's not being able to socialize. So people with disabilities, we lack social content, like social connection. Like there's studies done, like we don't have them as we age. And so the not having a job where you can't, vibe with coworkers who then become like real life friends, like it's a whole different ball game. Especially when you start talking about equity and what it means to belong to a community, to people and to and to be providing. So I, I really think that like my next question is that what what keeps you going, right? Like this is a hard space to be in. What keeps you going? You know, it's your timing on this is perfect because on um, Friday I got a promotion. Congratulations. But yeah, so I'm, I am really excited about that. I actually, in my transparency, would say they're paying me now for the work I've been doing for the past three years. So they're catching up to the quality that I've already afforded them, right? And that's not arrogance. It's just... Nah, that's um, arrogance. Take I, that. Nah, <laughs> no. Take that. That's arrogance. No humble brag. You know, nah, that's brag. <laughs> it's been... It's been 20 years and I am still in employment. I think why I'm still here is because the shift has gone from let's think about strategy and approach. Let's not just think about how we get folks like job developers and job coaches. Let's like take the focus off of them for a while and get back to thinking about the job seeker. That is I'm super excited about that. And then with the layer of thinking about what equity looks like has been super exciting for me. And the reason why is I happen to be African-American. 
And the reason why that's significant is I grew up in the Northwest. If you know much about the Northwest, it's very, very white. So specifically in like the Seattle area where I currently live, Blacks are less than 6% of the population. I think in Portland, I think they might be like less than that since I don't have the specific specific number, but I believe they are less than that. So that means I've always been in spaces where I didn't know who I was, right? That always makes me think about when I work with people who experience a disability, like what did that mean for me and what does it look like for you? And can I use my extra special skills to help you figure out how to get somewhere else, which means that's a different experience every single day. So again, when I stop thinking about the system and the people who paid to do the work and thinking about the people who need to benefit from what we're doing, that has been like, ah, oh, maybe my next five to 10 years of work. I think my own curiosity around what equity means, like I'm learning new words every day. I'm understanding more trauma every day. I'm understanding intersectionality differently every day. I meet people who inspire me like you every day where I thought yesterday was good and today is better. So I think that my curiosity about how do you tell people's stories in a way that impacts change is what's keeping me here today. And the fact that I get to, I don't have to be who I was before. Like you and I briefly talked about language and identity and code switching and you know, I think about maturity and I'm in a in the fifth season of my life. It's, I heard fifties was different. And my auntie's told man, me my auntie told me it's a it different is. world. Because wherever I thought I was supposed to be, it doesn't matter because this is where I am. And my bag of all the stuff, all the good and all the bad, like how I craft it now and how I use it makes me again I think about people with lived experiences in disability, like their bags are different. How do we use their bags? So I don't know. I think I'm just, I've moved different. I'm a brown girl in a sea of non-brown people. I'm trying to figure out all the time how to not be afraid to speak up, find my space, challenge people, not talk to me just behind the scenes, but to talk to me on screen in front of other people. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be bigger every day. I'm about to write that down. I want to be bigger every day. I mean, I think that. Trying to be bigger. Well, for me in particular, right? Like the world teaches you how to hate yourself so much faster than it teaches you to love how to love yourself, right? Like that's just mm-hmm. what it is. And it took me so long to love myself as an as an individual with a disability. I always loved my brown skin, but it just took me a long time to get to the part where I loved being disabled and respected what that meant for me and the journey that I had to take through life. To be bigger is super important, especially like as a first generation who is just, you know, taking these steps. And I'm setting the tone for a lot of folks that I know. Right. And I say that humbly. I don't say that like I I take that responsibility really serious as things can change in the blink of an eye. And so, I, you know, just being conscious of what that means and what that looks like is is uber important to me. So I guess I really want to transition this to really talk about your work and what you've done in the equity space and how you're inclusive of intersectionality when you're planning and and pushing for employment specialists to be bigger. Well, that was a really big question. (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. That was like, woof. So here's the simple version of this. I happen to be black. I happen to see like we're just not we're not thinking about people we serve who represent communities of color. That was a big deal. 
And then we don't have a lot of representation in the people who are doing the work. So that was my starting point, right? So when people say, what is the work you're doing? The first part was just really talking about who's missing, whose voice is not there, and how do we start to get people into space? It then transitioned after um, George Floyd into folks looking at our organization, which is the Washington Initiative for Support and Employment, or WISE, and asking us, what are you doing? And can you help us? And then inviting us into their living room. And I was really curious about how could we start to do equity work in a different way than stand and deliver, check the box off. So I said, what if we started to have conversations where people needed to engage? So you show up however you show up with whatever you know, and let's just practice having the conversations. And for the past year and a half, it went from one city in the northwestern part of Washington state. And then it went all the way down to the south southernmost city in Washington state. And we just continue to have conversations with people that isn't about using the big fancy words, but it's about like when this happens, what do you do? How does it feel? How do you show up? Have you thought about this? What do you think it looks like for other people? So that's the place that we've continued to sit is just in the conversation and not teaching, right? I come in as a learner. So I come in as a person who wants to learn and be in community with you. And that has probably been one of the most surprising aspects of this is that folks get a chance to learn and be in community in a really organic way, which is what I was kind of saying early in our conversation, that I think the work needs to be organic and not systematized. But out of that, then DTAC gave us an opportunity to do some more structured strategy work. And we came up with kind of like four different things that maybe we can share yeah. the website. But, and you know, I'm not really good at all the titles and I'm going to forget to say them. <laughs> so what I want to say is that the intent of them was, the first one was a, a blog to help you look at your organization and the cultural impact of like, where are we at today? Just some questions about sit down, do some thinking, who are we? And don't evaluate where you need to go, but just ask yourself, who are we today? Then we're, we provided a tool that let people then go. So how do we start to make change? Like, what is the process? How do we go through phases to help our organization move into doing work um, centered around equity? And then the last piece that we kind of ended with was a roadmap that had resources. And it was super simple and it was intentional. We wanted people just to go, we've never done this before. So what is the most simple way that we can get into this arena without feeling overwhelmed? Even if we have no money, no language, no culture around this, how do we get started? So that came out of the DTAC. And again, we can provide you with those specific documents. But so that has been the structure, I think, part of my work. But I'm new. And it's weird. People keep calling me a subject matter expert and inviting me to spaces to talk. And I'm not really sure why that keeps happening. I mean, 20 years, I don't think you knew. But I mean, I respect how you see it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the equity side, right? Like you asked me to talk about employment. I got it. And I have my lived experience. I got it. But there's something overwhelming in our work that we try to professionalize equity. We try to make people be experts at something as if my expertise in my own story carries over to other people in such a way that it's more important than somebody else's storytelling. I don't want to be inauthentic, I think is what it is. Like, I want to say, Kisa's here and she's telling her story and her experience, and I hope you learn from it. 
I don't want to become a person who thinks she has the answer for anybody. Okay. I, I really get okay. that. I do. And I, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for other people, but I think that that happens to us because we are women of color and, and in the equity space, they are, they have kind of taxed us to figure out what equity looks like, you know, what, how equity can be produced or, or made and, or exist in different organizations, you know, just like how we were asked to figure out how to make diversity fit. Like, you know, so I think that it, that is just, it's unfortunate, but it's the way the world works, right? Or not the world, I would say America. I don't know what happens in other places, but the way America works is that they look at our brown bodies and say, well, no, you know, you ain't never had it. So you should, you probably could tell us how we could give it to you. And we don't really want to give it to you, but we want you to think that we are. So we want you to tell us how we could. Um, and Ooh. so I, I think that that's where that is. But I, I think that something you said before we restarted the recording, which I felt was so important is how, how employment is tied to equity, but and it's tied to access and all of this, right? So you may not be an equity expert, but understanding the connection that employment has to every other piece of life is what kind of makes you the expert after 20 years. I would say just from our conversation here today. Well, I'm going to take the sister love and I'm going to wear my SME hat with pride today after this conversation. I'm fully walking in it. I feel blessed right now. I've been anointed. Thank you for that. Poverty is a big word for me. And I think one of the things that one of my mentors talked to me about was poverty. And one of the first places to impact change for people with lived experiences and disability is to get them out of poverty. And employment does that, right? Social security, we have learned to depend on social security and it keeps people in poverty, which means it does not create or facilitate access. It does not help people to feel belong, belonging or, you know, when we talk about culture, I just got kind of perplimped by that. But when I think about culture, how like we teach people to live in poverty, it's like a double edged sword, even for people with disabilities. Like we say, well, get it, get a job and move forward. But then we also tell them, but don't make too much, like stay here. You got to stay on your social security. Like, so our culture just needs to shift around really thinking about empowerment and inclusion and belonging. Like, what do we really mean when we say that? Are they just words? But what do we really want for people when we say those words? It's so funny you say that. So when I got, when I finished my AmeriCorps contract, my last AmeriCorps contract, and I was consulting for a non, a local nonprofit here in the, in the Rochester area, it just so happened to be my, so, like my review, right? With social security. And so you have to tell all these people all the money you're making or whatever or not making. And so I'm telling this lady, I'm like, they're going to pay me this and this is what it is. And she was like, all right, so this is what your, your new SSI payment will be. And it like was nothing. And it scared me. And I said, what? And so, uh, you know, I'm not thinking about how much money I'm going to make at this job. I'm just thinking like, what do you mean? There's no nothing like there's no how I'm going to survive. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I've, I've lived off of this for so long. What do you mean? And I had to pause for a second and think about the conversations I've had with my parents. Because one thing my parents have always been super, super particular and serious about is that I was never supposed to be on this forever. Right. Like it was never SSI was never supposed to be my my mode of life. Like it was just something, you know, that existed for that time being as I aged, as I grew, as I, you know, obtained the skills to be who I am today. 
So like, I shouldn't have been afraid, but I was, I was so nervous at first when she said it. I said, what do you mean? I said, how I'm gonna eat? Like, and the lady's like, well, you're making money. I said, I'm still broke. Like I wasn't making crazy money. I was still broke. And you know, and I'm blessed to still live with my parents and still, you know, not have those big bills like rent and RGE and stuff like that. And she was like, no. And she was really, there was, there's a lot of lack of empathy within the social security administration. Like I'll just say that. And their lack of knowledge of how real life works is, is crazy. And it's really telling. And so I was really nervous. So for you to say that, I think that some of it is that we need to change the narrative that we have created around people with disabilities, around their abilities, around what they can and can't do. And also like what opportunities we can have because I'm degreed, but it still took me six years to get a job. So like that just did, it doesn't, you know, you can't say that, you know, sometimes college is the answer when it's, it's truly not like I, I've degreed and it didn't matter. My degree lived in a box and it was cute, but that was it. It feels like part of what's missing in the, this equity conversation is like, how do we start having conversations earlier around the shift from scarcity mentality? And how are we helping people to navigate around the trauma of like, I've been broke for forever. Like I felt you when you talked about that, right? Like even when I finished grad school, somebody said, you're going to get your PhD or I said, no, because I want to buy underwear from somewhere besides Kmart. Like I had struggled to get myself and my three kids, right? I had three kids under the age of six and I was in a full-time master's program and it was hard. And when I finished, I was so exhausted. I didn't even want to be a social worker anymore. I just was like, can I go work in retail? I don't care if it's minimum wage, but I associate that to like, we need to start earlier. I think when we're thinking about inclusion and belonging and all the other stuff around equity, like new language around what it looks like to not be in poverty. Like what, here's what, how you can resource, look in your community mapping around how can you build resources for yourself? You don't have to just live like this. I think that's part of thinking about inclusion too. And I would be curious who might be doing some work around not just telling people you can get employed, but that bigger conversation around what do you do when you get money? What do you really need to live off of? Like if you're used to social security, which I'm not bashing social security. I just think we as a community, I want to hold us accountable when we're talking about equity and you're working with people who intersectionality is sitting in so many different places we got to give them something else to aspire to for sure than just self-sufficiency. So I guess my last question for you is pie in the sky. No money is no object. What is it that you would do to cultivate and create opportunity for folks within the employment realm? Teach us all to be better listeners. Teach us to be cultivators of stories. Teach us to be present with people and like meet folks where they're at and like the change that needs to happen is a change that people are impacted with today, not five years ago or even what they think it could be in five years, but like help people make moves today. And I think if our system, whatever that is that you're a part of, if we could stop and just do those things first to me. That's being person-centered, person-led. That's all about equity, right? And it's creating people space to be able to use their voice. And we stop telling other people what's best for them. And they we listen to what's best for themselves and make action on that. Like that could be my goal or my legacy. If when I leave this work and people said she created space for people to speak 
She took action on what they said and she made a difference in their life by helping them move forward. I, I would be really proud of that. Well, thank you for being here and I appreciate our conversation. And I mean, we'll see your expertise in 10 years. You said 10 more years. We get oh, you for 10 more. Hi, <laughs> thank you for the grace of your hospitality and your spirit and your energy and your power and your voice. Thank you for being you. I try. Thank you. Ditto. Thank you for tuning in to AUCD Network Narratives. If this story has inspired you to make a change at your center or program, use the link in our show notes for resources and tools to help you lead on. We'd love to connect with you. So visit the AUCD website and click on the submit your story button at the top. We hope to hear from you soon.